0: and we're keeping it upbeat with our intro music and welcome to the man on second podcast on real voices of the game productions i'm joe Forsara with our co-host slash producer dave d'agostino as always our mission here at the channel is to raise the baseball rqs of our audience we will do so today with our good friend todd hollinsworth todd is no stranger to the show and a really good friend i'm glad always to have uh, Todd on the show. But before we get to Todd, let's bring in uh, Dave with some announcements. Dave, what's going on?
1: Uh, just uh, for, for uh, a quick 20 bucks, could you name the author, or the artist of that song? I hope you can't, by the way.
0: No, I can't. I can't.
1: Awesome. I'm not going to tell, because then that means <laughs> I would know it, which we'd both have to <laughs> hand our main cards in right there. But um, no, I just want to thank our faithful audience here. 54,000 plus subscribers, 74 countries, grassroots MLB front offices, Keep supporting us. We appreciate with your support. I don't. I don't think. Our, I don't think Todd was on the last time. Uh, he hasn't been on since we moved to iHeart. But we we are now part of iHeart Radio's powerful podcast network. So thank you for your support, audience, uh, for getting behind us and getting us that shot. We got the cup of coffee in the bigs, but now they uh, they they put us up there full time. We got a number below seventy right now, so we're officially on the roster for iHeartRadio. Give Joe five stars today. Write some great comments because we battle the analytics of the podcast world just like they do in MLB uh, with Joe. Uh, congratulations to your son, by the way. I want to get that too. I oh, appreciate uh, that. With the Arizona Diamondbacks or going to the World Series, you got to experience that as well. And uh, I wish him the best of luck there and and certainly hope he soaks it all in.
0: Yeah, thank thanks a lot, Dave. And uh, and our guest, Todd Hollinsworth, frequent guest of our show His brother-in-law, Matt Herges, is with the Diamondbacks as a minor league pitching coordinator. Uh, I used to cover... Uh, Matt as well and I'm really happy for him and and all our friends in the Diamondbacks organization we'll get to them in a minute but first let's let's get to to Todd Hollinsworth Holly of course he had a 12-year big league career uh, 1996 National League Rookie of the Year with the Los Angeles Dodgers 2003 (laughs) World Series champion with the then Florida Marlins uh, former analyst on, uh, on broadcaster with the Cubs Marlins among others today Todd's a, a father, a husband. Uh, he's uh, assisting the coaching of his sons. Um, and at some point, we hope to have Todd Hollingsworth back either in uniform coaching somewhere or back with a regular uh, broadcasting uh, gig as well. But with that, let's introduce and bring in Todd Hollingsworth. Holly, thanks for joining us, buddy.
2: Well, I certainly appreciate it, and and, uh, I appreciate the intro. Yes, uh, hoping to get back into the game uh, a couple of years. Uh, You know, this game is—it's so interesting because it takes so much out of you, at least in terms of your time and your family. And you know, you really have to dedicate yourself uh, to—you try to dedicate yourself to both, but there's not enough hours in the day. So, the last couple of years, I've been able to dedicate to my sons a little bit more and, and getting them right and off to college and. I've got two more coming, um, but that, with that being said, um very excited to kind of get back into the game and, and looking for some opportunities that are out there and trying to push towards that. So I appreciate the
0: plug. Yeah. You know, any organization would be better with Todd Hollingsworth in some capacity, part of that. And, um, and, and, just class guy class teammate player great guy to cover great analyst uh great knowledge of the game uh we're going to cover a lot of ground here today and we have you know, a lot of topics so i want to kind of dive in first i want kind of wanted we're going to get to the playoffs in a minute but i wanted to kind of spend a little time on the marlins uh you know i didn't really get a chance to address my thoughts and, and get i like to holly's thoughts as well on the whole kim ang situation with the uh, uh, after the season when the, the Marlins did make the playoffs for the first time in a full season since the 2003 team won the World Series championship 2020, then the abbreviated you know COVID year they got in in a 60-game season. This, uh, they, they went into the playoffs, lost to the Phillies. And it was kind of shocking to many when Kim Ang was not you know retained. Uh, you know She was in the last year of her contract. There was a mutual option. Uh, to uh, remain for 2024, but the Marlins uh, wanted to basically hire someone also over her, like a president of baseball ops. Uh, Kim wasn't comfortable with the arrangement, chose not to accept the the one-year invitation back, which would have really kind of made her lame duck. Uh, but um, so now she has parted ways with the organization. Uh, Holly, on the, on the surface, it comes across as clumsy, in my opinion. The Marlins, you know, here... A lot of sympathy, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of fans of Kim Mang, Uh the first woman GM, uh, you know, broke down, you know, broke through a lot of ceilings. And, you know, but for me, some people are like, oh, this is shocking that she wasn't back. But I was seeing red flags and the fact that she was never being extended or that talk was never being finalized. And I'll give you a case in point Uh on the Saturday before the season ended, the, the Arizona Diamondbacks clinched. Mike Hazen, their, their GM or president of baseball, whatever his official title is, uh, was basically the next day. And he was under, I think Hazen was under contract through 25. But the Dimebacks extended Hazen and his two top lieutenants for three or four more years, whatever the extension is. But they made that right away. The Marlins, they played the Phillies. They did all of that. Still, the issue of Kim was never resolved. and And that, to me, drew pause to say, listen, if they... If this truly was on the up and up and this was not an issue, I think they would have resolved it already but but just kind of your thoughts on the, on the situation
2: well I, I agree um I think that there was definitely some uh, well I just use the word friction um, again I'm not close to that situation I haven't been you know with the Marlins in a couple of seasons since broadcasting uh, for them for the last five years and you know when you're in that bubble you you know you certainly are not in the front office but you definitely have a feel a much better feel for what's going on. You know, I will speak to um, how it's perceived, at least in my opinion, and you know, I think how people would look upon it. I think your opinion is pretty much spot on. I'll add this: um, I think that there are comparables throughout the sport. I think that what we've noticed in the last ten years is the level of loyalty. Maybe twenty years, the level of loyalty is not the same as it once was, and and the reason I say it that way is that if you go back about 20 years, loyalty did seem like there was a pride in wearing the same uniform as a player for 20 years. That was your dream. I thought when I got drafted by the Dodgers in 91, I was going to be a Dodger forever. Like that was the dream. And as as I started to get into my career and you started to look around at your surroundings and the bubble that you live in, uh, you start to realize it's you know, that is it, it happens to one guy. It happened to Derek Jeter. He's like the only guy from my generation, from my draft class, you know, from my draft era, that that was a, was able to even pull that off. Everybody goes somewhere else. So, whether you want to throw around the word loyalty or disloyal, whatever the case may be, there's a lot of coming and going in our sports right now. And I think what we're seeing in Miami is, listen, it's a byproduct. I, I don't know with you know the the, the merging of analytics and you know baseball minds and baseball people and people who have a feel for the game talking about maybe the players and the players who become coaches and managers there's definitely a little friction there i mean you know you're not always going to see things the same way so you know if you have an analytical department and everybody's analytical well that group is going to be fine you got to make sure that you're gonna, you're able to bridge those gaps with the players the coaches and everybody else who's on the field and i'm not saying that that's not happening i guess really the point that i'm trying to get at is that we just watched this play out in San Diego with San Francisco with Bob Melvin and you know, his move to, to the San Francisco Giants. So I guess really nobody should be surprised. And I think that's what I think, you know, baseball fans around the game, you know, you, you have to identify who your guys are, who your groups are and you know, who your team is, you know, your hometown team. Yeah. You'd love everybody to stay, but let's get real. It doesn't happen. Everybody doesn't stay. Players go, players go for the higher contract. If you're, if you want to keep a kid or, or a player uh, a, a, a player that you like and you tell him, hey, listen, we're going to give you, you know, we, we'd love to re-sign you. You've been with us for five years. You're creeping up on free agency. Well, when do you when do you bridge that? When do you go about that? Well, of course, it would be after at least his third, fourth or fifth season, because by the time you get to the sixth season, kind of like Kim Ng, right? Yeah. you You, you get yourself into a position where you're like, well. I'm going to go to free agency. I've waited this long. You haven't extended me yet. We haven't been able to bridge the gap. So now I'm going, I, you know, listen, you know, it's two months away from now. Now in the middle of my sixth year and you want to extend me, okay, well, unless you're willing to weigh overpay, I'm going to go find out what's out there because I've done my part, which is play the game, play the sport, do very well at it. And I know that teams in free agency are going to be excited about me. So, you know, to your point, there, there's those check marks, those boundaries, and. The fact that she wasn't being extended certainly probably hurts a little bit, but it also speaks to you know maybe what's going on a little bit behind the scenes. I'm not sure everybody is saying, all right, we're all pulling in the same direction.
0: Oh, I think there's no doubt about that, Holly. And the thing about it, it's, I'll give a little bit of context and background. And, and like Holly, I, I'm still you know, car carrying BBWA. I go to the Marlins a bit. I uh, went a bit more last year. This year, kind of the first half, pretty much after – By August 1, I didn't really go back to to many Marlin games, just busy doing some other things. But this whole – the 2022 season, which was – just a quick background. Right before the season started, Derek Jeter was not retained, (laughs) which was kind of a bombshell to say the least because Derek Jeter for four and a half years was the face of new ownership of the the Marlins. And Kim, even though she was as the GM role – Um, now she moved into the lead on field or player, you know, personnel, whatever the official title they gave it, GM, then she assumed all of head of operations. Well, it was to say the least without getting too specific on certain things, but it was pretty dysfunctional season. There was a lot of stuff that was, was, you know, internally, whenever I went to the to the ballpark, there are a lot of people in all departments. Were like, "What's going on here?" It was Don Mattingly's. Don Mattingly's last year, there was a big, you know, blow up team meeting that went really off the rails. That kind of lost lost the clubhouse, and and the team. Uh, even I was hearing from people around the league. Multiple teams said at the deadline. They really had no direction of what the Marlins were even thinking or doing, whether they're going to trade players or not. Everything was very confusing. Phone calls weren't necessarily being returned. So it was a complete mess. So they come into last year and they interviewed, okay, they keep Kim. She. Uh, they decide they're going to go all in, you know, even though they were a 93 loss team. Uh, they would miss out on all these free agents like Justin Turner. And as soon as Justin Turner signs somewhere else, it's like, oh, the Marlins want Justin Turner. Turner, oh, the uh Jose Abreu, uh, he signed with Houston. Oh, the Marlins wanted Jose Abreu. You know, all this, you know, they're in on everybody and uh, got nobody. They're in on Cody Bellinger, didn't get him, obviously. So they don't make any moves, really, some trades. Then, you know, right before spring training, they pull off trading Pablo Lopez and get Luis Arise, which becomes a big win for them in the fact that Arise hit 350 and and had a you know great, great season. And in the meantime, their managerial search to replace Donnie, they were were considering a lot of options. They interviewed a lot of people. There was some thought they weren't going to even hire an experienced baseball person, like meaning someone that wore a uniform before. There was was all sorts of speculation because they don't mind being outside the box and so forth. They get uh, Skip Schumacher, who probably is deserving of manager of the year. um, And he comes in as Kim's hire. And then what happens? They catch lightning in a bottle. The Mets stink. uh, You know, but I always thought the Marlins had like a fourth place roster. I still believe that. And, but it worked out where they dominated bad teams. They won a lot of one run games, even with like a minus 50 run differential. I think their expected record was like 70 or like 87 losses, but they still, Hey, the bottom line is expected record. doesn't matter. It's what you do on the field. They got 84 wins, got into the playoffs. But at the, at the cost of Sandy was burnt out where they got Tommy John from basically usage. And, uh, and their second best pitcher, Yuri Perez, the kid, he was dealing with a little ailment and innings limits. So they weren't available. Arise was playing basically on one foot. Uh, and they got kind of smoked by the Phillies. And then they are where they are. I kind of sense, Holly, uh, that they kind of put all their eggs into this year. They traded away prospects for rentals. And now it's like, now what, you know? And so that's where I, I think they look kind of lost in this because, you know, before you could see when Jeffrey Laurie, I could tell you, well, these are some of the baseball people's thoughts. I have no idea where, you know, I know Jeff Conine is like a special advisor, but, but, but who is giving Bruce Sherman, you know, baseball opinions. I have no idea because it's, it just seems kind of, you know, they didn't even discuss with Kim being ahead of overseeing everything and redelegating. But in the meantime, they, they're they without a GM and they uh, they just, you know, didn't renew their, their scouting director who who was over the draft in DJ Svilick. And they don't have an international uh, director either, unless it's Oz Ocampo, unless he slides into that. But Oz was close to Kim and I'm not sure he's staying. So it just seems like they, they kind of lack direction right now.
2: Yeah. And, you know, that is that has been a theme with the organization really since its inception. If you really go back to the beginning, yep. all the way back to when, what was it,
0: 94-ish, five, right in that area, right? Yeah, 90, 93, 97, they win one. the World
2: Series. My team in 03, we win the World Series. And, um, you know, they're the kind of years that stand out. We're able to put it together. You've had change in ownership you've had change in front office, you've had change in philosophies, you've had change, you know, in consistencies. I mean, you've had every type of you know, uh, angle or direction that would only confuse and frustrate a fan. And see, that's that, that you know, that's where it, you know it comes down to it. We shoot we used to talk about it as players in 03 looking at the exact same situation and we were okay with it. We understood. And I think most of the players do understand it, but you know, they're it is still a major league city and it is a, a city that I believe can thrive. I, I believe that they can get things right, but there has to be a cohesiveness from top to bottom in, 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 you know, for lack of a better example, because I know there are, you know, it's like, it's your, your, your neighbor in the state, but you don't have to go very far to find an organization. And of course it's a very easy you know example because they do it year in and year out. Of how to succeed with a lesser payroll and a deep farm system in watching what the Rays have accomplished over the course of the last, you know, forever. When I when I got into the when I got it, when I was playing, when the Rays came into existence, it took them 10 to 15 years to figure it out. And they did. They ultimately have figured it out. But you look at what they have now from the manager on the field to the people in the front office, you have a cohesiveness that works. They understand the direction. Everything doesn't go perfect. This year wasn't a perfect year for them. They had a fantastic start and basically played 500 ball for about four months. Yeah, But that got them into the postseason. And of course, they were kind of banged up and doing some of the same things that other teams were doing, getting into the postseason. And then I don't know if they thought they were really <laughs> going to get to the World Series, but they're contending every year. They're also developing players that play with that level of expectation we expect to contend every year yet they're still doing it with a payroll that is reasonable and they make tough decisions and their players understand that and they've invested in some of their younger players when the time has been right but my point in all that is it can happen Marlin's fans I I've said it I, you know I've been a broadcaster I've been a player I, I I've watched this city I live here um, You can make it work and it can happen. I mean, it really can, but you have to develop a cohesiveness that starts at the top from ownership all the way down through the organization. Everybody understands their role. And I'll throw in one key word that I threw out a long time ago when I first started talking about any of this, because you have to have it and it has to exist, especially as you see it in in the Diamondbacks, you see it in the Rays, you see it in, in some of these smaller market teams. That succeed and the word is loyalty. There is a pride. There is a an, an acceptance of I'm proud of what I'm doing here. I might get offered a little bit more to go somewhere else, but I love what we what what we made happen here. And 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 that certainly can be Miami's story. But at some point, all this change has got to stop because that's what the fans. The fans. It's the first thing they look for is all the change. Everything keeps moving, and there's this yep. constant. There's no, you know, there's no consistency.
0: No doubt. And and just to your point, since Bruce Sherman took over after the 17 season, so 18, he's had Mike Hill, uh, you know, a very respected uh, front office person gone. Uh, Derek Jeter, one of the most respected players in the history of the sport, although he kind of was running everything from the top gone. And Kim Ang, the first female executive, which, you know, they got a lot of positive publicity and, and duly for it she's gone after a year and a half basically well, as well in that
2: role because you and I Joe you and I are in, in some ways I'm not I'm not a Marlins lifer but I've got I've got extensive history um we go all the way back to the big, go, go, go all the way back to the original ownership, go all the way back to the original storyline and, and some of those storylines. And what is it? Is it not exactly what you just said? No,
0: no doubt. Yeah. It's, it's just turnover and turnover. And I, I always kind of laughed. I said, I was covering, you know, ba- my first three, four years on the beat. I'm like, after eight years, I'm like, I'm covering a college team. I got right. a new roster every four years. Yeah. You know, well, you know that's how I was kind of looking think, at it. Right?
2: I tell people all the time, I said, this is, you know, there's there's always turnover in baseball, but there is some level of consistency, at least in, in terms of star players. And I said, you know, you could, you could talk to, you know, pick whatever team you want. You could talk to the Phillies, right? They're, they just got knocked out of the postseason. Four years from now, I'd I'd pay just about anybody $10 if they could name half the roster of the 2023 Philadelphia Phillies that is still with the team four years later. I mean, it won't be. It's not going to be the same team. They're going to turn it over. They're going to turn over their bullpen. They're going to turn over their starters. I mean, this is just the way that baseball works. But there has to be some level of consistency and loyalty that works through the bloodlines of the front office so that that extends down into the dugout. And no what, Even as a player, as a player in 03, we felt it back then with a different ownership group.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Oh, we got to get Dave involved. Dave, jump in, buddy.
2: Oh, no, you guys are flowing here. You never have yeah. to feel obligated there. <laughs> I, I do have a,
1: a question about the, the loyalty because are we seeing this? This is pervasive throughout baseball. And we had one of our great uh, two things I want you to comment on. One, Dusty Baker just retired. I don't know if anybody saw that happening now, but is there anything to be said about his series of one-year contracts that he signed? Uh, Was that his message? And if people didn't get that, I'm going to read you a quote he said after he retired. He said, I have a lot of knowledge, much more than those guys who have never played the game. That was a direct quote from his uh, retirement article. Um, What does that departure say about loyalty? I mean, we're obviously hitting on the Marlins here, but it's the Astros have been a top team. Are we, we're seeing that become pervasive in baseball? even with our tops? And what does that one-year contract series say about, you know, maybe there's dysfunction in the Astros if we didn't know it before?
2: Well, yeah. I mean, we could talk about the Astros. Or we could talk about the Marlins. You could talk about anybody that you, that you choose. I think it exists on some level. But, you know, you, you, you look at how that question was posed or even maybe some level of defensiveness that you hear in Dusty's tone if that's what we're supposed to hear, right? The, the idea is he's not wrong. Uh, I mean, I'm certainly going to stand by that. But I guess my point is that for whatever reason there in some places, not all places, but in some places there, there, that bridge has been has been broken between analytics and, you know, the acquired wisdom that you get as a player, manager, coach, lifer on the field, guy who's been around it all. You know, I used to use this example, and I <laughs> I always think it's funny because it always comes back to my mind. You know, Tommy Lasorda used to do some of the most unorthodox things that we've ever seen in the game of baseball. He would send lefties up to pinch hit against left-handed relievers because he knew this guy didn't have a good slider. And like that, you see what I'm saying? There's no analytic they, they, I mean, you see what I'm analytics is going to argue with Tommy every time on that one. You say, oh, wait, 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 there's just no way around it. I'm like, yeah, no, but this is my guy. He's got some power. I want to get him in the game. I'd rather him face this guy who doesn't have a slider than he's going to come at him with fastballs. And I'll take my I don't care if he's lefty lefty. This makes sense to me. This is what I'm going to do. Everybody in the front office. This is my point has to say, OK, we understand the analytics. We understand what's going on, but this is a baseball mind. This is a baseball manager managing. And what ends up happening, I think, in a lot of these relationships is that one side or the other, of course, I mean, I, I, I'm a former player, so clearly I'm going to you know lean to that side. But my point is, that toes get stepped on and fingers get hurt and, you know, pinched in the door because there's not like there's this idea that there's not the same level of respect because they didn't play or you did play and you think we're a bunch of dummies because we didn't play. You know what I mean? And it's like that ability to kind of coexist is already strained before you, you know, before day one. So it's hard. You know, it's certainly both. Both have their place, certainly in a front office, in my opinion, because I think more front offices should have guys who know the game inside and out in those front offices. Because you got to have a feel, and you can't measure, a, you know, a feel of the game. You can't measure what your eyes are telling you. You can't measure when your manager decides to pinch at a lefty against a lefty, and the guy comes through, and then you have to explain it to them, like, "Why did that happen?" Well, I had a feeling, you know. I <laughs> mean, it's like, how do you, how do you put all that out there? Because analytics our analytics, their numbers, their percentages, and their, this is more likely to happen at 57% than that. So this is the, dis- you know, this is the direction we're going to go in, but that's not always the right answer. No, I, I like
1: that, that answer to, to that. Cause like you said, Dusty's been through it. And I
2: think we can all say this together because we all believe experience matters. Absolutely. It's- I mean, Dusty's Dusty. I mean, and, and again, listen, there's some great analytical managers out there, guys who, um, you know who have. Their, you know their, their their life's experiences have made them great managers in different ways, but you understand my point is that Dusty is a lifer. He he's not going to necessarily He he won't disrespect the numbers. He will take them into consideration. But I'm a firm believer that every manager is the decision maker. This is the guy who's the top dog. He's the top chef. There can only be <laughs> what do they say? There's. Too many chefs in the kitchen. Things. There yeah. can't be that that kind of dynamic where you've got that going on. If you supply the person who makes those decisions with the knowledge that they need through the analytical eyes, uh, the hard data, and then you've got the experiences and you've got all, all of that plays into the decision-making process, I can promise you, having played for Dusty, I know Dusty, Dusty doesn't just dismiss analytics. He's just going to tell you, I'm going to take everything you give me. And I'm going to put it in my in, in my data bank, and then I'm going to make decisions that are based on everything that's going on in front of me right here and now. Yeah. And it's hard for people who never played to understand
1: that this has been going on for years in terms of managers, right? regardless of the sports, using data, using statistics, but it's been done through the merger of experience, uh, experimentation, yeah, and running the numbers. And they, they do it almost intuitively in their decisions. So- no, I think fair points. Do you all pass back to you?
0: No, that, that's some great stuff. And I love the way you phrased it, Holly. He will take it into consideration. Yeah. Not this is the way. You know, that that's really important. Uh, before we pivot from the Marlins, I, I do want to throw this name out. That, uh, some people in the game that I really respect reached out to me and said uh, that they believe this isn't to say what the Marlins are thinking, which means they probably aren't thinking this way uh but they recommended if the marlins were going to look for somebody to be the next uh, gm uh johnny almar almaraz a l a l m a r a z i probably pronounced it wrong uh johnny almaraz he he's in the, he's on the marlin staff in their coat in their scouting department they recommended him as a as a gm candidate and johnny's background apparently he's a very good evaluator uh, he was with the Braves and very instrumental in the, in the signing of Ronald Acuna. Ozzy Albies, when he was in Philly, Bryson Stott and Alec Baum are, are on his pedigree. And uh, apparently he was at the Reds. He had a lot of players that signed with the Reds as well. So Johnny Almaraz uh, could be, uh, if I'm throwing it out there, hopefully the Marlins are listening. They give him an interview and see what goes from there. Uh, but, but we'll pivot. We'll pivot off the Marlins a little bit. Let's get it. I want to get it kind of into the playoffs, but I kind of want to look at it a little bit different, Holly, because we could look at you know the Diamondbacks and 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 the Phillies, and I'm going to kind of tie them together with O three and and the Marlins in this respect. Um, you had a team in Arizona, and for maybe first listeners, my son's a scout with Arizona. Uh, and he actually did some advanced work. He's on the pro side. So he's been he's very instrumental in this run behind the scenes as, as many. Uh but when you get to the playoffs and you get a team that's not expected to win, which was obviously Arizona, Texas to the degree as well, obviously the O3 Marlins. But you heard this from, from players on the Phillies, even Bryce Harper noted it, that the that the Diamondbacks were fearless. That word fearless came up. And I and I've watched more than hundred diamondback games this year. And as well as more than hundred I watched five games at night pretty much during the regular season. <laughs> um, and that word. And once a team, Holly can go into a hostile environment like Philly and not, and brush it off and just play its game. Talk about that aspect. Cause we certainly saw the O3 Marlins do that in hostile places. Ha- talk about that mindset that what that was like to be in the clubhouse and what what happens when you conquer that hurdle?
2: I find it as a, a, a very freeing moment. It's some of the, the, the most freeing moments I've ever had as a player. Um, and I would, I would absolutely agree with, with what Bryce said in terms of the Diamondbacks being a fearless, free team. When you play for the Philadelphia Phillies, you play for the Chicago Cubs, the New York Yankees or Mets, maybe a little Giants, of course, the Dodgers. There's a level of expectation. There's a scrutiny that's involved not only in the team, but in the players themselves. The players feel that. They recognize it and they know that it's there. It takes a very special player to find high levels of success in major markets over and over and over again. There's very few that really do find it consistently. But you find what the Diamondbacks have now, there's a sense of freedom in how they go about their business because nobody expects them to do anything. And it's funny because it's not an entirely true statement, but I love the fact that it came from Bryce Harper, and here's why. People inside the game, the... President of the Arizona Diamondbacks, Derek Hall, uh, Tor Lovello, you know, like the manager, the, the people around the game, the people who watch the Diamondbacks all year, much like our O3 team, yep. knew we were good. Knew that we were one of the hottest teams on the planet in O3, just like the Diamondbacks are, and that they could do something if things started to go their way. And what I mean by that is, you know, you pick up some tough wins, you know, you get a hot closer or, you know, your your bullpen locks in really, really well. You get a few hot hitters in your lineup and it doesn't have to be the same hot hitters over and over and over again. You know, I always find that the best ingredient is that you have two or three hot hitters at a time and they're switching. They're constantly switching. And the Diamondbacks have had some of that this postseason as well. So my point is that it really comes down to how they're perceived, and in the baseball world, the Arizona Diamondbacks are perceived as as the National League champions and a team that has an opportunity to win the World Series. It's amazing. What was it, two thousand and one? The last time they they won, they won it all. Yeah, yeah. So, in a in a, a very different team. My point in saying all of that is that the freedom that they're playing with is the same freedom that we 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 played with, and I can speak to it. We can walk into Wrigley Field for a game six and game seven and know that millions of people are against us. Millions of people are rooting against us. And even with five outs left in a game that we were losing, find a way to win a ball game. And that's the freedom. Like if you're being eaten alive by the pressure or the expectation, then you're never going to come through in those moments. So it's almost, it's almost like not taking yourself too seriously. It's like, you know, you're good. Everybody in baseball knows that the Arizona Diamondbacks are a really good team. Pitching staff, starters, guys are having good years. You could see it in just the way they walk on and off the field. Even in Philadelphia, I said something last night to uh, a, a, another uh, interview that I was doing in regards to this, and I was just speaking on their, you know, their manager. The, the calm that he manages with sets the stage for the players. And he's not out there, you know, losing it, getting all worked up, and and you know, being. Um, you know, being, you know, frantic or, or, or lose it or making irrational decisions that we've never seen him do before. Like he set the tone for what they were looking to accomplish. And that calm has just resonated throughout the entire dugout over and over and over again. So yeah, they are fearless. I mean, fearless and, you know, meaning expectations aren't, you know what other what what they are for the Philadelphia Phillies or what they were for the Los Angeles Dodgers or maybe what they are, you know, going up against the Texas Rangers. There is an awful lot of emotional freedom. And that's the thing with baseball. Baseball really is on a daily basis. You'd think, okay, on a daily basis, they play 162 games. You got all this postseason stuff. They should, you know, baseball players should be able to keep their emotions in check man let me tell you something it's 162 days of trying to keep your emotions in check every day you're going through the ups and the downs as a hitter you know there's the good when you're going good yeah your emotions are ejected when you're going bad boy you're just you're beating yourself up you're showing up early for work you're doing all this other stuff but if you can learn to control that and and play with that freedom that bryce harper just described you can go out and win a world series
0: Oh, there's no doubt. And I, I, I like to use the word calm because that's that's a word I've used in my discussions with my son about Lovello and just kind of how that team is. is and almost during the season, you get frustrated by it because you're like, show some fire, you know. But this team in 2021 lost 110 games. so And and they were going into hostile places like San Francisco, which won 107 that year, and L.A., which won 106 games that year. And we know the Dodgers always win 100 games anyway. You know, I think that taking their lumps and, you know, growing together with a young core, the Cattell Martes and the, you know, Christian Walker's, and, you know, and then obviously you infuse a, a you know, a Corbin Carroll who's you know, going to be the rookie of the year and will be probably a future MVP as well. Uh, when you get that kind of dynamic, really different game changing player to come in, you know, now it's, to speak to that the homegrown aspect of it. Obviously, you make trades, but well, that's, you know, that's, you know, that's, how, that's how important it is.
2: That's a great question. That's a dream. I mean, I think for the Arizona Diamondbacks, you 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 love you love it when your guys make you look good. I mean, it's it's that simple. I mean, don't get me wrong. Any team's gonna you you go out and get a guy in free agency and he comes over. The Philadelphia Phillies they go get Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper is now a Philly people forget that he played for the Nash. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, that's kind of how it works. But my point is, is you still had to pay for it and you had to pay for Bryce Harper. You had to sign him to a big deal in order to get him to come play for you. But when you've got a kid that you've drafted, so that's internal, you had eyes on him to begin with. You saw him, he's yours. You want to keep him and he's performing at that level. You can't help but just get excited because it resonates all throughout the organization. Remember it's almost like we're going back to the, the, the last conversation we had, that cohesiveness, that gel that you love to have that flows, the, the, that flows through the streams of the organization and everybody feels it and everybody wants it. It's not like, OK, we're going in different directions when you have a player succeed that you drafted, that's winning awards for you and you're winning on the field you know, with your team and he's a leader. I mean, that's that, that's the ultimate slam dunk because everybody is getting praise, not only the player himself, but the people who have coached him, the people who have helped him. And then you hear them talking, you know, after the game, you know, heaping praise on all the people who had a role to play in their development. I mean, this is just your dream situation. It makes everybody feel good about what's going on. It makes you want... You're 17 years old and you're like, I want to be a Diamondback. I mean, this seems great, man. They're raising their kids the right way. They, they, they're teaching them the game of baseball. They're getting them to the big leagues. They're giving them an opportunity to turn themselves into something, which is what I believe about myself. And so that that's what you want to see. And when you see it on the field translate into a trip to the World Series – Everybody should be getting extensions, and that's what yes, it looks. Validation.
0: Like. Yeah, exactly. See how that
2: all works. It's just it, it. It is a healthy, vibrant organization that right now has got things figured out. And again, I say this because it seems like it's truly the path. It's taken a long time for them to get to where they are right now. They've yeah. tried a few different directions that haven't worked out, but I think they finally figured it out.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's when your kids come of age and, and such. There was a moment, you know, and I want your perspective as someone being in another dugout seeing this this happen. Um, because I, I like you. I, I look and I see how team reacts. Do they look a little tight or whatever? And I'm watching the Diamondbacks early in Game 7, obviously scoring in the first inning kind of said, okay, they got a shot tonight. You know, they're not, then they, they got out of the first, the rookie pitcher, Brandon Fott, did his job, got through the first. I'm like, okay, you know, this could be fun. Uh But I'm looking at the Diamondbacks dugout where there was guys just eating seeds and cheering and just what calm. Then we get to the, yeah, they're due, guy gets a hit. They all do their little, you know, their little reaction to the guy on base. They All the teams had their little thing. and But you see them throughout the game kind of stayed there their young kids in the dugout just kind of laugh and kind of be. And then you see Alec Baum, who great player, clutch player, homered that game, walked and scored the Philly second run, strikes out in a two-run game in the eighth inning by Kevin Ginkle, just wipes him out with some great sliders, and not just obliterates the bat at home plate, but takes it into the dugout and is just splintering that bat. And you see your dugouts like, okay, you have a two-run lead and things are going your way. But what does that say when you see cuz I thought that's when the Phillies broke. When that bat broke, I'm like they're done. You know, you know, they they basically broke them. Cuz now their frustrations led to that.
2: Yeah, it you know, becomes it, visual. You know, it like, becomes visual. It becomes it becomes what you see with your eyes. And and so much of this game is really what you feel in your heart, and what you feel in your soul and your spirit and and not just what you see with your eyes, but it does have, you know, It can have positive uh, consequences and negative consequences. And you're right. I think we all felt the exact same thing. The level of frustration was starting to mount even under those circumstances. Time was running out. It's so interesting. It's like, you know, Joe, you've picked out like, (laughs) you know, key moments in this series that have triggered you know a response in your mind or what you believe you're seeing and what you're feeling at that very moment in time and it's like I can correlate every one of those to what we experienced in 03 under very similar circumstances we were in the in the exact same championship series and everybody says oh the Marlins you know they they were down to the you know they, they were down to the Cubs and the Cubs were the hottest team on the planet and they were doing all this and you know, and so we get a heroic performance in game five from Beckett, which is a great pitching performance. But let's just let's just fast forward all the way to game seven. Yeah. We, did, we did the exact same thing. We came out. We scored some runs early. Of course, it was a much higher scoring game. But my point is, is we scored some runs early. But then Sammy Sosa and I believe Kerry Wood homered. I yeah. mean, you know, like this thing, this game was tied at five. <laughs> yeah. Uh, through three or four innings. And so we were in the same position, Joe, that you just described as being the visiting team in that environment. But what ended up happening with us is, again, we didn't lose our composure. We didn't get out of control. We just kind of started pecking away and we added a run next inning, which gave us the lead. And then we added another run. And then our pitching settled down enough that they fell into the position of running out of time. So for us, it was never about running out of time. It was like we couldn't get rid of it fast enough. For them, with each out that we were recording they were running out of time so all of that pressure all of that millions of people that were against us were now feeling the heat of what we were actually doing which was just winning out get one out here one out there one out there and next thing you know you know the 40 so of us you know with coaches and staff the 40 Marlins people in that environment which we saw with the Diamondbacks you know they were in control of the millions of phillies fans and they were in control of the phillies themselves because they're now playing from behind and it sh- it shuts them down you noticed how intense that stadium got when the phillies were either tied or an- ahead yeah but when it got out of control when things started to turn a little bit and the diamondbacks took control of that game everybody was still standing on their feet but they weren't as noisy as they were when no, they created doubt
0: yeah Once you create doubt you know that That's confidence exactly right. goes away mm-hmm. Yeah. You know uh, Dave, your thoughts?
1: Well, first, the Philly fans are crazy all around. They, they booed Santa Claus. Let's not forget that way back. <laughs> but, uh, both these teams in the World Series, 100 lost teams just two years ago. Uh, so they both experienced that, that down, down cycle. Both reinvented themselves. But you, you guys mentioned Arizona, and I, I don't want our audience to miss this. They're one of the yeah. lowest budget teams in Major League Baseball, if not the lowest budget. So as Todd, you mentioned, they have figured out a way Um, So maybe those two things are a model. Things can turn around from, you know, dismal to World Series, maybe not that extreme, but by doing it the old-fashioned way. And the other old-fashioned way I see, and I hate to use the word old-fashioned because I I like to think it's the way he played. They played real baseball. They moved the ball around. uh, They caught the ball. They bunted the ball. They hit behind runners. I think we saw Trey Turner. hate to pick on Trey because I love his game. But late in the game, no outs runner on second. He missed a bunt attempt, and they ended up grounding the ball to third. Um, and I think eight of the last outs for the Phillies were either fly balls or strikeouts. But um, what, what does that say? Uh, and I'm, I'm bringing this a long way to bring it back, but you spoke about a freedom to play coming back from hundred losses, shutting down an opposing team's crowd, um, low budget, playing real baseball. I wondered out loud uh, as I, when I was watching it as athletes, as competitors, you're in the, you're in a deep, uh, deep state of competition you don't have time for the other side of it, which is deep study, which analytics brings in game sometimes. Um, just just a, kind of your thoughts on it as a competitor, a former competitor.
2: Well, I, I you love the, 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 your tremendous points, all of them. I, I, I love the question because my answer is one that I think rebuilds an organization. And I think it's the staples that make organizations stand up, which is- dotting the I's and crossing the T's and it's very clear to anybody who's watched. And of course it always comes out much later, much after the fact and they're being applauded for being fundamentally sound. They're being you know, applauded for throwing first pitch strikes. They're being applauded for not walking guys Yeah, You're going to listen, you're going to lose games. You're going to win some games, but the, the, the foundation of what the diamondbacks have become. And I, I, I do see this with the Rangers as well, because they're, they're, they're a young team is that it was almost like a message a couple of years ago it felt like was delivered like this is who we're going to be and I'm going to help you because that's the thing. Managers can come in and they can be great motivators, they can be great dis- disciplinarians, they can be uh great teachers. But they can't be great players. They can't. It's they're they're not. They're not the players and that's that's the point. So the players are themselves, and what got you to the big leagues is unique, whoever you are. It's a unique gift that God gave you that, 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 that is better than most, and, and it certainly thrust you into a spotlight of excellence. You've got an opportunity now to be a big leaguer. But there are things that all of us have to do, and we call them kind of the staples of the game. Let, let, I'll give you an example real simply. I wasn't a bunter. I didn't bunt much in my career. But every time I was asked to bunt, I was able to get the bunt down because I practiced it all the time. And it wasn't something that I saw. It was just something that I did. And when I say I practiced it all the time, I mean, I'm I'm talking like maybe once a week or once every couple of weeks. You know, you just start to realize there's a lot of downtime in the game of baseball and you can practice a lot of things if you apply yourself to them. And that's what we did. When I was in the minor leagues, I was constantly being taught how to bunt. And everybody's looking at me like, you know, okay. I just was like, I need to know. Like, If I get to the big leagues and Tommy puts down the bunt sign <laughs> in the in the seventh or eighth <laughs> inning of my first big league ball game, which I know I'm going to be nervous about, I got to at least be comfortable to pivot on my knees, bend, and get into position to put this ball on the ground and do my job. Because if I don't, oh boy, I, I, I know how that's going to go. So those are the messages that you deliver to an organization after a hundred lost season. You say, this is how we rebuild ourselves. It'll translate itself in the talent. It takes talent to win in this game. But what people tend to watch is the talent. They don't watch the dotting the I's and crossing the T's because it's not fun. It's not fun to talk about that stuff. It's not always fun to talk about hit and runs uh, other than when they work. You know what I mean? It's, just, it's the nature of how this game is played. But those things are absolutely vital to putting your players in positions to succeed when you're called upon. When you go out and practice bunting back in fe- late February, early March, and spring training, and you're doing this, knowing that you're probably going to get this sign maybe once, maybe twice, maybe never, maybe not this season, but you you, you might be, and you want to be able to do it when you get when you get called upon to do it. You know, bunting isn't just for you know Trey Turner or a select few guys; it's for everybody if you feel the need or you can help your team because you never know how you're going to feel in the box. And so, my point in all of that is. The Diamondbacks have done this. The Rangers have done this. Practicing the fundamentals and the basics of what this game is all about. Not that it's who you are. It's not your define. You know, it's not who defines you. But you need to have those things in your back pocket just in case. If you don't practice stealing bases, how are you ever going to steal a base? If you don't bunt the ball at least in practice, how are you ever going to bunt the ball when the game's on the line in front of seventy thousand people when your emotions are just taken over and you're. You know you're nervous just because all the flash bulbs are going off. See, that's the whole point, and the Diamondbacks have done that. That's why they succeed in that little stuff.
1: No, that's great. And you know, I heard a comment Bryce Harper made after, and I like how he's evolving. You know, he's he's he moved to first base. He plays the game hard, but I cringed when I heard this comment. And, and here's how old fashioned I am. I started doing math to see if it added up, but he, he used the, the two numbers one hundred nine and forty four. I just missed it 109 and 44. And I'm thinking, wow, that adds up to 153. They play 162 games, but he was talking about his exit velocity and launch angle Mm -hmm. uh, on those. And he said he just missed it by a a tenth of a second. All we get is two tenths, maybe, to make a decision. You know, as we're talking back and forth, uh, you know, traditional way of playing the game analytics, Bryce Harper is that first generation of player, I think, that came in. With this, what does that say to our game right now? I mean, no,
2: that's. A- I, I, I mean, it's it's unfortunate because guess what? You know, I, I don't even have to go one hundred nine forty four, and I could say the exact same statement to you because I actually saw it with my eyes because I was watching it. And guess what? You just missed it. <laughs> all we all we're doing is quantifying it. All all we know is that we're putting statistics back uh, behind it. And, and and here's the thing. You don't need to prove it to me because we just watched what you did. You did just miss it. It it got halfway, you know, halfway on the warning track. I I mean, I saw it with my own eyes. I mean, that's the thing. And so, why are we obsessing over that? Because even, even in that moment, that was a moment, and to his point, uh, a reaction, less than a second reaction to a pitch. It's not fixable. See, that's the thing that I think with the analytics that you know, especially hitters get so obsessed over. And I just think it's, this is insanity. You know, it's one thing to work on who you are and you can work on, 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 you know, making slight adjustments, but even throwing those numbers out, it's not like, okay, I'm going to take a little bit of a different swing. When I see that exact pitch in that exact spot with that exact speed, the next time I do that, (laughs) because no two pitches ever look the same. And that's the whole point. Is that even that reaction to that moment of time comes down to the exact same thing that you said right away? You just missed it. You just got underneath it by uh, just a hair. I could have described it a different way. He described it analytically, and that's you know to a fan base that understands it. But at the end of the day, I don't need to put numbers to that to know that you didn't miss that you just missed it because as you came around first, you made a right turn, and that's the end of the game. I mean, that's the end of that that at bat when 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 the ball gets caught. Well said. Well said.
0: Yeah. Uh, this is good stuff. We could have, we have Holly on all day. We're getting kind of pushed for time here, but before we let him go, I wanted to two anecdotes from him because Holly was part of the famous Bartman game. And, um, and I just wanted his perspective of the moment uh, when uh, Luis Castillo hits that foul ball and and we know what happened in the stands with, with Bartman and a reaction. And then, uh, your big hit in that that big eight uh, eight run inning, whatever it was, uh, that eighth inning that broke the game open for the Marlins. Just kind of take us through the Bartman moment. It's, first.
2: It, it, it's um, listen, maybe they should do a 30, a 30 for thirty on it or something. I don't know. Um, <laughs> it, re- it really, it really, it <laughs> really. From our perspective, and and I hate this for our fans, uh, it, it's unfortunate that it's this way. But there, there, there's nothing more to it than what had it, what it has become on its own by all of the storylines, and you know the guy who was standing out. I, I think he was on. I don't know if it was Sheffield or or, or Waveland, You know, had the camera, the, the 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 camera on his helmet. You know, all that stuff that was going on out there. We in the dugout, we knew where we were in the game. Our conversation didn't change. We knew that we were in a game. It was three to one. Pryor was on the mound. He was flat out dealing. We were just trying to find a way. We were trying to get his pitch count up. The conversation in the dugout was get the pitch count up, keep putting together good at bats, keep fighting. And what that means is fouling off pitches, hanging in there. Don't, you know, let's not go up there, you know, and have one or two pitch at bats. Let's just battle this dude and see if we can't. We always felt like there was a, you know, you don't want to deal with prior, you want to get in their bullpen. So anybody that you see out of their bullpen, regardless how good they are, you know, they're going to be better. It's going to be better for us facing them than it would be going up against prior because that's just how nasty he was at that point in his career and at that point in the ball game. And so, you know, that was our, our thing. I, you know, our perspective and, you know, Wrigley feels a little bit different. So, you know, we, we're on the first base side. And so we see it from our perspective. You know the Louis Castillo, who's a slash hitter, slashes one down the left field line. You see a Lou running towards the wall. I knew that wall. It's a it's a wall that kind of climbs. It's not real uh, traditional. It's it's got you know a a lot of unique cuts and corners and a lot of things going on down there and a very little padding. So in my mind, it's not an easy catch. I'm an outfielder, and and so I should know this. Um, But it did look like, hey man, he was probably going to make that catch. I think that he does if nobody touches it, but somebody did. Um, the point is that one poor man, one poor soul, you know, it got this, got the weight of the Cubs, you know, hundred years of, of, of not winning a world series thrown upon him, uh, because he interfered with the ball. I, I, I mean, that to me is comical, but that's not what was being discussed in our, in our dugout. What was being discussed was just taking advantage of it. You know, Hey, listen, this is an opportunity. Um, we got to make something of it, you know, very similarly in the series prior to uh, if I remember this correctly, because you're re- I'm really testing my 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 memory here. Jacob Cruz was the right fielder for the San Francisco Giants. And I believe it was him who dropped.
0: Yeah, it uh, was a, a fly ball?
2: ball to right. Am I yeah. right, Joe? Am yeah. I telling
0: the story right? Yeah. Um, uh, well, Cruz Cruz. Uh, um, um, yeah, the right fielder for the Giants. And, uh, yeah, uh, I believe he won
2: a gold glove that year.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't
2: Cruz it was Junior? Was it? Yes, it was. It was. I, yeah, that's who. That's who I think it was. And you know, he 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 was coming in for a ball, and you know, he ended up dropping it. I mean, this is the Gold Glove winner in right field for the National League that year. I'm pretty darn sure of that. But my whole point is very good outfielder. Sometimes things happen, and the idea is to take advantage of it. So in our dugout, I, I, I've heard the story that you know Mark Redmond, our one of our starting pitchers, lefty, you know, said something. Hey, like like let's make this guy famous. But the rest of us really weren't like, I wasn't locked in. I mean, I couldn't see what happened down there. I just knew it was chaotic. I mean, there was, you know, people around and the crowd was in it. And of course, you know, Wrigley Field's a little lopsided back then. So there's a little bit of a hill there and you just can't see everything clean. And we were just all about trying to make something happen. to, to, To a man, if you were to ask every Marlin or any of us who are associated with the Marlins at that time, the double play ball that didn't get turned was 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 much, much bigger than fan interference down the left field line. Because if they get one out out of that double play ball, it's still a completely different inning. If they get anything, um, it's a different inning, at least in our perspective. So we not only caught one break, we felt like we maybe caught two breaks. And when you catch two breaks, you just feel like, hey, man, things are working in your favor you know, and next thing you know, boom, 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 hit, walk, hit, walk, walk. You know, it's just like all of a sudden we couldn't, you couldn't get
0: us out. Yeah. And then your big hit.
2: It was a lot of fun. I, I tell you, running around the base was an, was an awful lot more fun than, um, than uh, really, you know, any of the hits that I had in that NLCS. I was on first base when Mike Mordecai came through and his was the big hit. His was kind of like the, what are they? the nail in the coffin, as we like to say, Um, flying around the bases as he rocketed one into the left center field gap, one of our more uh, underused uh, utility guys, but just a tremendous pinch hitter and and a good guy and a good teammate who understood his role really, really well, stepped into that moment and just turned around 96 miles an hour. I believe it was from Kyle Farnsworth and just rocketed one into the left center field gap. I I felt like I was, it. it, it to me, it felt like it, that was the fastest I ever was in my entire life. As I was running around the bases, I was on first came around to score pretty simply slid across, but it was like, that was the swing and that was the hit. And here we go. And this is what we knew. We knew that was our moment and we knew that we had capitalized on it, but to all the things that happened throughout that entire postseason, And I think we've seen a little bit with the Rangers and certainly some uh, with the Diamondbacks, for both of these teams, things are going to go your way, and things aren't going to go your way. But you got to get to the end of that moment and just digest it, and then move on to the next moment. But that's how this game works. So when you get the good things that are happening, try to make them last. And when the bad things happen, you know you just got to move on. I mean, the the Diamondbacks they had a couple of moments this postseason that really could have gone, could have set the stage for the the Phillies just steamrolling them but that didn't happen. They just kind of got past the moment, got another big hit and and got on with it.
0: Yeah. Great, great, great stuff. Uh, before we let Holly leave one last thing from me, Holly to win the world series, to have that championship, to have that ring and those memories, what does that meant to your life? And you know, where does that rank?
2: That's a defining moment. It's, it's as big as anything um, that you hope to do in a team sport. Um you know, as a kid growing up, you know, I played other sports in high school and you do things. And and I think that there are other sports that are definitely driven. Uh, you know, the success rate of that sport or the success of that team is driven on how well your team uh, gets along, how cohesive they are, how well they play together. Football is a great example of that. Basketball, soccer. I mean, I think you can go in a lot of different directions. Hockey is very much the same thing. Baseball is a little bit more individualized in terms of who you are, you know, you can have a bad season and still win a world series. You can have a great season like Ernie Banks and never see a postseason game. game. Uh, you know, have a hall of fame career. So baseball is different in that capacity. So to get to that point and to get to that moment and to pull it off is something that is, you know, can never be taken away from you. And it is a truly special moment when you get it in baseball, because I, I just have always felt that it exists in baseball a lot less than it exists in the other sports. But the key is to get that cohesiveness, that togetherness, that oneness at the right time. Arizona Diamondbacks had a stretch. I think it was what, middle August when they were like 16, 18 games (laughs) under 500 over like a 50 game stretch. I mean, it was like crazy numbers.
0: Yeah, but well, they were they like, didn't yeah, have they that, were, yeah, yeah, that was amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. They they would tell you they didn't
2: have that then. They were one of the worst teams yeah. in baseball. They didn't have that then.
0: Yeah, because they went from 16 games over to, I think, one game under and then right, right into ship. Right. So, well, there you go. Yeah. Oh, we got a manager fired. We got our manager fired in 03.
2: We did not have it. We did not have that cohesiveness. We did not have that oneness. We did not have that, you know, finishing each other's thoughts, you know, the idea that, hey, listen, this is what we're going to do here. You know, maybe we move them over. I, You know, we got to the point where we were bunting guys over, even in situations maybe it didn't make sense because we had a hot hitter coming up. Like, hey, why would you buy, you know, bun a guy to second base if it wasn't a pitcher? Of course, this is back when pitchers were still hitting. Bunt a guy to second base, you know, with one out in the inning. Well, JP's throwing a hot bat right now, and I bet he comes through. Or Louie, whoever was at the top. Yeah. And more times than not, you'd see something like that happen. Those are the things that 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 create that atmosphere. And when you have it, and I played 12 years. Um I I mean, listen, there was maybe two or three teams that I played on that had that. And it's it's really, really special. If you're privileged enough to get to play in something like that or that in type of environment for an extended period of time. That is a, a true gift and a true blessing. I got the experience at a few different times, but the one with the Marlins was amazing because we found it at the end. And when you find it at the end, it, it, it really puts you in a position of just appreciating not only what you're accomplishing individually, but collectively, you, you have an appreciation for your teammates. You have an appreciate for, appreciation for their families and what everybody's going through to try to win this championship. And when you pull it off, it feels like it's all worth it. Plus the air gets a little crisper in, in this time of year and it's a lot more fun.
0: <laughs> yeah. Great stuff. And we could end on that note. Dave, any last things for Holly before we get out of here?
1: No, great interview. And I know your family loves you, Todd, and appreciates what you did for the last two years, but baseball
2: needs you. So they're going to make you. Someone's going to pick you up soon. Yeah. Yeah. Hoping for that as well. So uh, <laughs> keeping my ears open and uh, working the phone lines
1: so and joe just thanking our fifty-four thousand subscribers give joe five stars todd five stars say write some great comments under there so we can continue to battle the analytics of the podcast world like they do in mlb baseball all 74 countries get on it today i'll turn it back to you joe to close uh
0: appreciate it uh, dave again appreciate todd hollinsworth thanks buddy for for your time great great uh, conversation as always um as always you know we're bringing uh, really good stuff here on the channel and uh Keep listening. The, the World Series should be fun. We'll be back in next week with some more stuff. Joe Frasero, man on second, and we are out of here.